Welcome to this podcast from Greater Boston on WGBH2. It is one in a series of interviews with authors conducted by Greater Boston host Emily Rooney. Our podcasts are made possible through the generous contributions of WGBH viewers and listeners like you. Thanks for joining us. And now, here's Emily. Before there was Rush Limbaugh, before there was Dynamis, there was Jerry Williams, the man who pioneered the talk format in Boston. Williams tackled issues like civil rights, the Vietnam War, and mandatory seatbelts. Williams challenged everyone on his show, even Senator Edward Kennedy. The criticism is the manner and style of which is done, not the, the issue itself, but the manner and style of which it was done, what, probably. What is it in preserving the status quo that you're so outraged about? I, I'm going to tell you once again, it is not the issue. But what is it that you're so outraged about? That it was done in the dead of night. The preserving a current position. No, that it was done in the dead of night. It, first of all. By a United the, States the, the senator. From a point of view, you're wrong. It wasn't done from a sunset point of view, so... It was done then, it's secretly. Now there is a new book about Jerry Williams entitled Burning Up the Air. Joining me are the co-authors, two former producers of Williams' show, Steve Ellman and Alan Toltz. You know, it's interesting, Ted Kennedy would never talk to anybody like that now. It just wouldn't happen. You know, he just, we wouldn't go on the air and he wouldn't give that kind of interview, but... Jerry got anybody to talk. Well, Jerry had a long history with Ted Kennedy. As a matter of fact, Jerry was opposed to Ted Kennedy in his first senatorial campaign and had something to do with famous, setting up the famous Eddie McCormick-Ted Kennedy debate. Later on, he became more comfortable with Ted as senator and actually had him on the air as a substitute host. So they had a long history. Mm. Alan, you and Steve really credit Jerry with this, kind of this format that has come de rigueur these days, which is a, a combination of talk radio, you know, the monologue, um, the, the interview with somebody like Ted Kennedy, and then the, the commentary and the, and, excuse me, the, uh, the interaction with the audience. He was really kind of the first one to do that. The, he was the, the first callers. one to put that all together. Uh, many times the, he might have gone about the process in a different way, depending on what he wanted to accomplish. But he put everything together. He was the first one to do that. I didn't realize what a career he had. It wasn't, he wasn't just a Boston uh, guy. He was in Washington. Was he was in Philadelphia. He was everywhere. Everybody knew who he was. He was huge. Um, you know, when you think of the number of hours that he actually spent on the air doing radio, it's a number that goes beyond 40,000 hours in a lifetime. 46,000 yeah. hours? It was, I, Which is like what beyond, Larry King has now. Well, uh, even Larry King is not quite at that level. And he He'll, knew Larry King. Yeah, he knew yeah, him of all. course. Yeah. But Jerry was a master at so many different forms. He happened to light upon talk radio and to work talk radio into the form that we think of today as the way to do talk radio. You know, in, in some ways, though, Jerry Williams was... He could be intimidating. He wasn't necessarily a bully, but he was, you know, you describe him as a liberal, a populist, but wasn't he really kind of the first of that libertarian voice in a sense? Well, he was politically not so much the libertarian voice, but I think a pragmatist relative to specific issues. If he felt that the government should stay out of something, like seatbelts, seat um, specifically, then he would take on that libertarian yeah. tone. Uh, he wasn't so much liberal later on in his career when I worked with him. On the other hand, uh, and back in the early days at uh, WMEX in the late 50s, he was also against the sales state tax. And that was quite a conservative point mm -hmm. of view for when he was liberal most of the time. And he actually fought that for seven years when he was on WMEX. And the state didn't put in a sales tax until Jerry left and went to Chicago. Where was he on the Vietnam War? 
Well, that That's was sort of my bailiwick because I was producing the show in the early 1970s. Even in Chicago, when the war was still very controversial and people didn't, a lot of Americans hadn't made their mind up about it, Jerry was already speaking out against it with sort of the classic line that he used about everything that he felt affected the ordinary guy in the wrong way. He said, why are we doing this? Why? Can't you give me an answer, Mr. President? And that became a mantra, which he continued right on WBZ. From the, his point of view, Vietnam was a disaster, not only because we were involved in something that was essentially a civil war, but also because the men who were fighting were so confused about why they were fighting. He kept saying, if the men don't know why we're fighting, why, how can we possibly succeed? Jerry really lived through the current genre of talk show hosts. I mean, there's nobody brand new to the scene that he didn't know, including Howard Stern and Don Imus is back. I mean, but I mean, maybe people like Jay Sever, but I think he knew Jay, too. What is the difference now? I mean, is it that, he does, that people don't engage their viewers in the same way or they argue with them more? I mean, as I said, he could be pretty intimidating himself. True, but I think the major difference now in talk radio is that with the deconsol with, uh, what shall I say, consolidation, deregulation mm -hmm. of the broadcast industry, most of these radio stations were bought up by larger companies. With that came consultants. With those consultants came a standardization. Uh, for instance, on a talk station today, if you talk to a caller for more than 90 seconds... It's almost unheard of these days. Jerry would have conversations with callers for... 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. I was amused by this story in there because I was working at Channel 5 at the time about that whole episode with Susan Warnick. Oh, yeah, who, yes. Who, you know, got involved with a guy who had seen cops raiding a CVS store in Revere while they were supposed to be arresting right. somebody else anyway and a source called and, turned, and she got the story. And then the source called... She was going to go to jail. The right. source calls Jerry Williams, and Larry O'Donnell convinces him to turn himself in. And correct. Jerry felt like he never got proper credit That's for that. That's You know what? I didn't remember that he was involved, <laughs> and I was over there at Channel 5 at the time. Well, interestingly, uh, one of the last chapter of the book, Burning Up the Air, is a monologue that um, Steve artfully transcribed, part of which is um, a piece of that conversation yeah. about how Jerry did not get the yeah. proper credit because <laughs> the news director at a specific television station at the time, he names him as Jeff Ross or Channel 7. But that was Channel 7, but, right. but, 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 but we were Channel 5. Oh, I understand. But even Channel 5 didn't come to the fore with Jerry Williams did this. They came to the fore with a Boston talk show host. Is that true? I'd have this. to go back and check that. This is part of a long theme in Jerry's because career. Because certainly we gave him credit for the seatbelt thing. Well, you yeah. certainly did. You had Without to. Without a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> it happened because he, he, he made it happen. Um, but his feeling was, in general, because talk radio is not journalism, because it is a form that is essentially a bastard form, that it doesn't get the respect it deserves. And he always felt that he had an impact and he ought to be given credit for that impact. But, I mean, the newspapers do that every day. A, a broadcast report, they never give people credit unless they're literally stealing it right off of, you know. And, we, of course, we do the same to them, a published report. You know? Well, of course, we're also talking about Jerry Williams and a man with right. a giant ego. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> right. what he, he could be a little thin-skinned, am I uh, right? A little well, thin-skinned, yes, indeed. Absolutely. Now, but that's a good quality in, if you are a personality gives you a hair like trigger temper. <laughs> well, more, more than just the trigger temper, I think you need to be somewhat megalomaniacal in order to do justice to what I'd call personality talk radio. Now, Very he, few he never brought in other voices the way a lot of these other talk show hosts do now, oh, like that was Primus and Stern and all that. It's just, we, it was all him. No, we were not allowed as producers to, to talk But you couldn't talk him. in the microphone the way the Howie Carr people do? No, not at all. 
No, the technology. You have such radio there, but... voices, both of you. Well, oh, thank I you. mean, <laughs> to tell you the truth, a lot of my work is dependent upon Jerry. Jerry was my graduate school teacher. Wow. I sat across the glass from him and watched how he worked, watched how he put pauses right. in place, and that developed right, my well, own I really style. Enjoyed reading this and going back through the ages for burning up the air. Thanks for listening to this podcast, one in a series of interviews conducted by Greater Boston host Emily Rooney. We invite you to watch Greater Boston weeknights on WGBH2 at 7 p.m. and again at midnight. The program is also available through Comcast On Demand.